Hi, welcome back to another episode of A Dose of Grace. Today, I have the privilege of interviewing a new friend, Beth, who is an occupational therapist. And I can't even begin to describe all the amazing things she does. She blew my mind uh, with discussion about this interview. So I'm going to actually hand it right over to Beth. I'm going to start by asking, how did you get into healthcare? Was it your first love? Well, Grace, that's a kind of a funny story. No, no, I had absolutely no intention of getting into healthcare in the beginning. I have a bachelor's degree in English, and I went right from college to graduate school and got a master's degree in English. And then I started doing all those things that you do when you have a degree in English. So I I have been an editor at a business publisher. I have been a freelance writer. I have taught English. I I taught freshman composition and intro to literature at a community college. And I guess that's where I really realized that I had a love of teaching. I, I had a love of connecting with people and teaching them something that would be valuable in their life. So from there, I decided I I really enjoyed this teaching thing. So I uh, actually enrolled in a PhD program at NYU, English Literature. And my first career goal there was to become a professor of literature at a university. That That was my goal. And after I enrolled maybe a little bit later than I should have, I I went and started looking at the job predictions. Mm. And they were terrible. (laughs) Nobody was hiring professors. They were hiring adjuncts, using Mm. them up, and then firing them and hiring a new adjunct. So it it did not look good from a a standpoint of spending many years and a lot of dollars to come out with a degree and no guarantee of a job at the other end. So I realized that I was I was a little bit in trouble and I put my enrollment on hold. Meanwhile, my sister was very unhappy in her job and she worked in the insurance industry for I think 13 years and pretty much disliked every day of those 13 years. And I got a little tired of hearing her talk about that. So I said, listen, I I will help you. What would you like to do? I will help you figure this out. And she's the one who mentioned, well, gee, there's this career called occupational therapy. And I think I might enjoy doing that. And I said, okay, I have no idea what that is, but let's find out how you can be one. Uh So I started doing the research for her and I realized that here was this career that involved working with a person and finding out who they were and what made them tick. What did they enjoy? What did they need to do? the, the career is often misunderstood. People think that we find them jobs, but that's not at all what we do. We, we look at what occupies their day, the occupations of their day, and that includes everything, everything from getting out of bed and getting showered and getting dressed to making something to eat, maybe going to a job, driving a car, anything that is part of your day, the things that really turn you on. Maybe it's gardening, maybe it's riding a bicycle, maybe it's you know, doing some art or any kinds of things that that are really, you're really passionate about. And an occupational therapist looks at who you are and what you love to do. And Mm. then they look at what's keeping you from doing those things. And they help you to bridge the gap. 
So that's really what we do. And I thought, wow, isn't that a terrific thing to do all day long? So my sister and I both went to occupational therapy school and she graduated and started her career in pediatrics. She works in the school system with children and absolutely loves what she does there. I have always worked with adults. And so I started my career at Kessler Institute in New Jersey, which is a rehabilitation hospital. I worked with inpatients for a couple of years there. And then I had a, a wonderful supervisor who realized that I had the perfect personality to work with uh, clients in the car and get them back to drive. I actually sit in the car with them in the passenger seat while they're out there on the road. So it does take a certain personality. You have to be a bit of a risk taker. You have to let them make mistakes and you have to wait till the last possible moment to intervene. So she had kind of seen that in me and my personality and, and boy, was she right. She identified my passion for me. Mm. So Kessler actually trained me to be a driving rehabilitation specialist. And I was certified in 2000. And I, I have been a driver rehab specialist ever since. At Kessler, I ran a driving program for 18 years there where I had a car and I did clinical evaluations and I took folks out in the car. But about five years ago, we moved to Syracuse, New York for my husband's job. So I'm now in upstate New York, and I still am involved in clinical evaluations for driving, but I don't have the car piece right now. So I spend a lot of my time also in the concussion program. I work with people who have had concussions and have symptoms afterwards, not mm. the ones who get better right away, but the ones who have symptoms that continue and I also work with the neurological population in an outpatient setting. So folks who have had strokes and had injuries and Parkinson's, MS, you know, many different kinds of neurological diagnoses. And we work on everything, not just driving, but all the things that they need to do with their day. And it has just been such a wonderful thing to be giving back to these people and to see them blossom and to see them return to their independence and their joy. Yeah, wow. I mean, it just, I really had a very, as a nurse, I had a very narrow focus on what occupational therapists did. I was a clinically a NICU nurse and the way I learned about what occupational therapists did was with premature babies and babies who may have had birth anomalies that, right. that made it hard for them to suckle on either on the breast or on the nipple, you know, for feedings, as well as kids who were intubated for a long time. And so that's all I knew about occupational therapy. And, and I'm sure there's so many more subspecialties oh, so many. that I'm not even aware of, but you blew my mind. I love this. Love it. Thank you for sharing your journey and what a unique journey you've had from English <laughs> editor possible teacher to now OT and being uh, in this subspecialty. The second question I have for you is around a inspirational or uh, encouraging story that has stayed with you that you'd like to share with our listening audience. Absolutely. So it's, it's hard to pick just one, Grace, because mm -hmm. I've been touched by so many people over the years. So, and it's been a lot of years I've been doing this now, but there's one in particular that I wanted to share with you. There was a young gentleman who had a traumatic brain injury in a car accident. He was in his thirties. He was a father and he worked, he had a very physical job and he suffered this 
rather traumatic brain injury. When I met him, he had actually desperately wanted to drive. And so he came to me for a driving evaluation. Mm. And as he sat in my office and we talked and we started doing some assessing of his skills, I realized that it was far too early for him at that point to drive. He could only really work for about 20 feet altogether and he used a quad cane, so a, a cane that had four prongs on it for, for balance. He had no use of his left arm, and he also had vision deficits. He was missing a, a little piece of his vision, but more importantly than that, he was missing his attention to mm-hmm. the left side of space. And this is um, a phenomenon that sometimes happens with a stroke or a head injury, where your brain just, for the life of it, can't believe that there's something more than what it sees on the right side of space. And so obviously very, very dangerous for driving. These these folks can't really use strategies to overcome that because for the life of them, they think they are seeing everything there is and they're not. Their brain is ignoring that one side. So he had that challenge. He also had many cognitive deficits. He could not sustain his attention for longer than a few minutes. He could not divide his attention and pay attention to more than one thing at a time. He had memory deficits. He had problem-solving deficits. He he just couldn't find his way around if something wasn't quite the way he wanted it to be. And I guess almost most important, although all of these deficits were uh, barriers for him for driving, one of the most significant barriers for him was that he had no good awareness of his deficits. He thought he was just fine and that he could just get in the car and drive. He had his right foot and he had his right hand and he thought for all the world that he was good to go. And so this is the gentleman that I met and I had to tell him kindly that I'm sorry, this is not the time for you to drive, but then I could say, well, let's get you the help that you need so that you can make the progress you need to make and and we can try again when you're at a different place. And so we hooked him up with physical therapy. He had been referred for physical therapy, but hadn't gone because he thought he was just going to be okay and he wasn't going to go. But once he realized that it made a difference in terms of driving, because he needs to be able to get in and out of the car, he needs to do what he has to do, and then he needs to get back in the car again and be safe to drive. And he just wasn't there yet. So this became a powerful motivator for him. He went back to physical therapy to work on his walking. We sent him to occupational therapy to work on his vision. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of folks don't know that many occupational therapists are specialists in vision. I am myself. And there's a lot that we can do to retrain folks to increase their awareness, to increase their compensation strategies. If they're missing some vision after a stroke or a head injury, we can work on basic skills like scanning and the environment and, um, you know, all sorts of things. And so we sent him to OT to, to look at that. And they also worked a bit on his left side that was not functioning well. And the other recommendation we made for him was we sent him to a cognitive remediation program. So this was an interdisciplinary team. It includes speech language pathologists. It includes occupational therapists. Usually there's vocational rehab involved and very often psychology is involved. And these folks work together to look at the person's cognitive status, to look at what it is that's in their way. And they work together as a very close team to try to move that person down the field and get them back to a a place where they're functioning at their highest possible level. So one of the things that they were in charge of was building awareness of deficits. And, And they do a great job at that. 
So this gentleman went through all of these services and made terrific progress. And I, I think what was fun about this story is that driving was such a motivator for him, <laughs> right? It was such a motivator. He wanted to drive so badly that he was all in on these therapies. And the whole team worked on him. And then one day he came back to me and I, I wanna say it was almost a year later. It was a good long time later. And when he came back to me, he was a different guy, right? He was walking without a cane at that point. He had really improved his walking skills. He had an awareness of what his strengths were and where he was cognitively still maybe struggling just a little bit, but he was also on a much higher level. He, he had more skills. He was definitely functioning quite a, a bit better. His vision had improved tremendously. And I think that, that that awareness of space on the left is something that often just takes quite a bit of time to resolve. But for some folks, it doesn't resolve all the way. And, you know, they maybe aren't going to be drivers. But for this gentleman, it had resolved enough that we could t- talk about it again. And so his, his left arm wasn't quite good enough yet to be on the wheel. But I knew that I had equipment I could put in the car for him and we could get him driving. So we put him in the car for the evaluation and what we used was a steering device. Mm -hmm. So it looks shaped a little bit like an egg and it it sat on the steering wheel. If you think of it as a clock, it was about two o'clock, right? On the steering Mm -hmm. wheel. And he would steer with that and it gave him the ability to get all the way around the wheel safely with one hand without re-grabbing the wheel or calming the wheel. Many states require it if you're driving with one hand, and New Jersey is one of them. They don't want you to drive if you don't have the ability to use two hands unless you have a a steering device. And on the steering device, we also put his turn signals so that he could, without taking his eyes off the road, or he could just hit a button right on that knob, and that would put his turn signals on. And there was one for the horn. He could blow the horn, and he could turn his windshield wipers on. So it's fairly simple device is wired through the car. And with that device, he didn't need his left arm. He could really manage everything with just that that right hand. And we got him out on the road and we did an evaluation and he did pretty well. He, He wasn't quite there yet, but he had potential and I could see that he could make it. And so we did a number of training sessions. I think I was in the car with him eight or nine times and we put him in different kinds of traffic and we put him through all the rigors. <laughs> and after each session, we talked about what he needed to still work on and what, we, what he was doing well. And, and darn if he didn't succeed at the end of that, he was able to drive. And what, what an amazing feeling to know that this guy, you know, could now get back in the car and he could expand his life you know, a hundredfold. So he had a child who was playing baseball and that had friends that wanted to go out for ice cream. And now he could take his kid to his games and he could take the kids out for ice cream. And he could, you know, eventually he ended up getting back to work as well. And he could drive himself to work and back. And it was just such a great story to see what the team had done together to just get this gentleman his independence and his his life back. What a great Great story. It seems simple that an act of driving a car represents so much to somebody who believes that driving is a symbol of independence, an ability to be able to function, you know, in society. I've actually seen those little eggs on different TV shows with people who have some level yeah. of ability. 
Yeah. I, I was always curious about that. Now I know what that is. So it makes different shapes, right? So uh-huh. if you yeah. can't hold on to that, there are different shapes that you could use. There's a whole variety of things. But uh-huh. as a driving specialist, we have a whole host of, of adaptive equipment. And I think that a lot of folks don't realize that they can drive, that there's equipment out there for them to mm-hmm. drive. And um, it's, it's really an amazing little specialty because it can open up a world for someone. But, you know, everything from being able to get into a van and drive from a wheelchair down to just mm-hmm. a simple steering device. There's so much out there to help people and to yeah. get them back to driving. The physical yeah. part of it is is pretty you know, is, is there, is, it's the adaptive equipment. Mm-hmm. It's a little harder to work with the, the visual, vision deficits, the cognitive deficits. Yeah, very difficult. Wow, thank you so much for educating me on something that I literally had no clue that existed. And also all the work that you do without any fanfare, you know, you're never mentioned in media. The fact that I've never even heard of this and I've been a nurse for over 30 years, tells me that even within healthcare, you're a very well-kept secret. Is there an OTPT day or month? Like we have there like- is. Yes. There is. April is occupational therapy month. Okay. <laughs> well, to what degree people understand even what occupational therapy does, I don't think the general public knows uh, unless right. you need it, right? Unless you need it or had a, a family member or friend who needed it. Yeah. Right. Right. I mean, as a former NICU nurse, oftentimes parents would say they didn't even know a NICU existed in a hospital until they needed it, right? Until their baby was ill or right. needed some extra help. Thank you again. I have one more question for you. Sure. And, you know, this is a hard question right now within healthcare, as more and more people are feeling burnt out because of COVID. And just in general, healthcare is really, really a hard place to work because it never ends and the needs are great and the resources are limited. So how do you in your work stay resilient? How do you stay connected to your passion and not being jaded because it becomes a sort of time to make the donuts, you know, just do your work without heart. How do you stay connected? Well, I, I think that there's a number of things that I've done over the course of my career that helped me stay connected. The patients themselves are part of that for Mm -hmm. sure. And maybe working in some different areas and learning something new makes it fresh, right? And I've also often gone outside of my daily job to find that. So um, from the very beginning, I've been involved in the National Association of Driving Rehabilitation Specialists. Um, which is called ADED, mm-hmm. and over the years have volunteered in many different positions. And mm-hmm. so learned something a little different and been reinvigorated by people across the country mm-hmm. who are doing this work and are excited about it. And you know that excitement is contagious, right? Yeah. Yes. Just as a negative work environment can easily be contagious and you yeah. know, become very difficult, a, a positive one can too. And mm-hmm. so I, I think that being around other people who are excited and passionate about what they're doing is a big part of that. And my national association has been a great place to find that. So mm-hmm. over the years, I have volunteered on the certification committee, on the public relations committee. I've been involved in professional development committee, mm-hmm. I've been involved in the research committee. <laughs> I've written some grants for them. And I've been on the board as both a member at large, and now I'm in the third year of a three-year term as president. 
So I was actually the president last year during COVID, which was quite a task. That was fun trying to figure out how to redo our conference and all of that. But again, a nice way to stay involved when a lot of people weren't connected, right? I was very connected with my people. And this year I'm past president on the board. So still very involved in, in many projects, some of which, you know, were rolled out nationally, some of which are used by OTs across the country. So that's been very gratifying and rewarding. Mm. And, and has kept me kind of lit up about this career. I've also found opportunities many times to speak at conferences to get the word out about driving rehabilitation. So I've spoken at conferences for older adults, mm-hmm. for people with traumatic brain injury, for people with stroke, just wherever I can talk about what I do. And I, as you said, not many people know what we do. Right. And so raising awareness for it also has kept my passion. And I've been part of, I've been tapped for some positions with the DMV in New Jersey, had a brainstorming session for folks involved with older driver safety. And that's been an initiative that I've been involved with as well. So just, you know, finding these projects that were a little bit different and a little outside of my everyday job Mm -hmm. is a great way to stay involved and to stay passionate. How about you personally, like after work, what do you do to make sure that you refill your bucket after you give of yourself to everyone and everybody? Mm-hmm. What do you do to come back to yourself? I tend to refill with activity, with outdoor activity. I'm mm-hmm. an avid bicyclist. Mm-hmm. I run. I like to cross-country ski in the winter. <laughs> a lot of snow in Syracuse. Sorry? You get lots of snow in Syracuse, I'm sure. We do. We had a <laughs> wonderful season last year for skiing. So, you know, all of those things, actually. I am a retired triathlete. I've finished wow. six Ironman triathlons. So wow. I kind of pour myself into, into that. And it's just, it feels wonderful to be outdoors, to do something that I, I like to have a goal. I like to set myself a goal. Mm-hmm. So you know, getting to the end of an Ironman triathlon was a, a huge goal. And I think that was life-changing when I finished my first one, it was, it was absolutely life-changing. And so I kind of got the bug. And I, <laughs> <laughs> I like to set myself some goals that way. Are you going to sign up for another triathlon? I have a shoulder issue now. So I'm a little more of a bicyclist and a, yeah. and a runner now. I, I don't yeah. tend to be able to swim quite as much as I did, mm-hmm. but I absolutely still enjoy that part. And, you know, it was a great place to meet people in a new place. When I mm-hmm. moved up to uh, New York State and to Syracuse, I yeah. brought my bike with me and I met a whole community of bicyclists, right? Yes. So, yes. yeah, it's a good way to connect with other people. And, of course, this was wonderful during COVID yeah. because I could do all of those things. Mm-hmm. You know, when everything exactly. else was closed up. Oh my goodness, Beth, this has been really invigorating and just really mind bending for me to understand all these different subspecialties. I'm walking away feeling like I went to a conference of some sort. Mm-hmm. I always love to learn from people outside of my discipline also. Mm-hmm. Even though our focus is a patient, we're coming at it from a different facet. So very, very oh. cool. It's been a pleasure to talk with you, Grace. (laughs) Thank you, Beth. And uh, I can't wait to share this wonderful interview with my listeners. And have a wonderful day. Thanks. You too.